Well, let's turn in our Bibles over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew in the 16th chapter. We have looked at this Scripture not too long ago, but we're going to look at it for other purposes here tonight. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, you all know where we're at with this, right? God's boot camp studying how it is that we develop our spirit so that we get tuned into the right things and tuned out to the wrong things. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am, the son of man, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, I think just about any question we ask each other, you will always find out that some say many things. And some of them can be right and some of them can be wrong. But here they said, first off, who do men say that I am? Well, some say this and some say that and some say this. So the ones who said something different, the one who said John the Baptist, did they hear that from God? The ones who say, Jeremiah, did they hear that from God? The ones who said, Elijah, did they hear that from God? But how are they representing it? Don't most people? I think, I think he's Elijah. Are they saying that out of their own authority? In their, in their minds? Are they not pretty convinced? I mean, have you ever talked to people who have an opinion? You know, who, what do you think about this? And they give you an opinion. Do they think, why? And I could be wrong. I might be uh, listening to the wrong, wrong voice. Do they think that? Don't most people think, no, I'm right on on this one. Everybody else who thinks he's Jeremiah, they're wrong. He's Elijah. I know it. Some say this. Some say that. Others say this, others say one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. Now the question is, does Jesus care what other people are saying? (laughs) Then why does he ask? If Jesus has no concern about what other people are saying, why does he bother to ask? Jesus doesn't address what the other people are saying, does He? So why does Jesus bother to ask a question that He really doesn't care about the answer to? Nor does He deal with the answers that come. Isn't that kind of interesting about Jesus? Why would He he do this? Now understand, Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. He does this on purpose. Who do men say that I am? Maybe Jesus is wondering who he is. Maybe other people give him some light on it. Why does he do this? Who do men say that I am? Well, sometimes we are faced with challenges in life. And we know what the Word of God has said. Or we have people that have taught us what the Word of God has said. But then others have come along. I think it's this way. I think this will happen. I wonder if God ever comes down to some of His people and says, what are others saying about your situation? What are your doctors saying about your health? What's your employer say about your financial situation? What do the news media think about the future of the economy? Now, if Jesus ever asked a question like that to us, do you think He cares about the answer? But is it not true that very often we are concerning ourselves with the answers that other people have? Mm -hmm. 
And Jesus has to sometimes deal with that. Who do men say that I am? Now notice what they said. Some say John. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. So they've given the answer. Does it seem like they've left anything out? But did they leave out any of the responses that people are saying? Does it seem like they, they didn't go etc., etc., or like that? They said it's, they're either saying it's John, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But apparently men are not saying that he is the Christ. Because they would have said that, wouldn't they? Especially if it's what they felt. I mean, if, if other people are saying something that you feel, does it not make you more free to express your opinion? But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't just stop at you are the Christ. He said you are the Son of the living God. Boy, that's a neat answer. Then to say, you're Jesus, Son of God. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Well, what's flesh and blood revealing to him? Elijah, Jeremiah, John, some other prophet. That's what they're all saying. Notice that Moses wasn't in the list. Isn't that interesting? Got Elijah in there, didn't get Moses. Hmm. I wonder why they maybe older is just, Moses is just too old. <laughs> Flesh and blood is not revealed as to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so that's what he was yielding to. He yielded to the revelation that he got. And apparently the other ones seemed to as well. He just was the vocal one. I think the other ones had, had, had spoken about this too. Because don't you think when they were privately together, don't you think this is the question that they asked themselves? Who is he? Who's this guy that we're following? And don't you think they all had different opinions? I wonder if one of them said John. I wonder if one of them said Elijah. When Peter's getting up there and he's saying, well, some say this, and one of them in the group said, oh, that was me. <laughs> I wonder if that happened. We don't know that one. But I bet you they had to discuss it and they must have come out with a consensus. Isn't that great? That's a fun word we're throwing around here anymore. Consensus. Well, scientists agree. Well, most people think hmm, consensus. So they must have talked. And in talking about that, Simon Peter either felt like he was alone, but he was right because Simon would stand up even though he felt like he was alone. And he was right. He would stand up in front of the whole group, especially this group, because he felt comfortable with this group. Sometimes he didn't feel comfortable and he didn't always stand up. But you can tell if, if Simon felt comfortable, he's going to talk. He's going to say what he, he had to say. So he stood up here. So we won't know exactly whether they were all on board with this. Probably they were, but we don't really know. At least Simon was. And Jesus speaks to Simon. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Then say you disciples... You, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock or on this confession, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Upon the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So it's based on this confession, right? And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Don't you go out there and tell anybody that. Flesh and blood's not supposed to reveal this. It's supposed to be revealed by the Father. See, there are some things you're just not supposed to reveal by words. They are to be revealed in the Spirit. Because until people come to the place where that can be revealed to them, they are not ready for the revelation that that will do in their, for what it will change in their life. So there's some things you can, you can say on the inside. Oh, I know, I know that, I know that. Just, but just stay there. 
So what do you, what do you think people come up to the disciples after this and say, who do you think this is? Oh, it's the Christ. <laughs> do you think that? No, they're not going to do that. He told them not to. And the reason he told them not to was if you have to tell them, they aren't ready for it. So I understand there's some truth out there that you may have to, you may feel like, oh, I can tell because I have the revelation of this. I got the revelation of this. But you tell it to them, they won't get it. They won't get it. It won't help them at all. Just keep quiet about it. Just go on. Ask them some questions to help them out with the thing. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. He felt like they were ready for the next part. You see, this revelation, them hearing this revelation, gave Jesus the okay to go on and teach them more things on this. But until they had that revelation on their own, he wasn't going to teach them. And he asked them about who do men say that I am because he wants to hear, what are you hearing? Now, what are you thinking? And despite what you're hearing, you're thinking differently. Ah, see, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. My Father in heaven has revealed it. My Father in heaven. Now you're ready. So now we're going to teach them the rest of the stuff. And so he starts teaching these things and get into that. And then we get into some fun things here. I probably didn't fill out much of anything that you had in there, but these are the things revealed by the Father. And there is a lot of opinions out there. Please understand that a whole lot of opinions about the Word. Of course, only God's counts. But here's the thing. Peter revealed what he had in his spirit. The thing that God spoke to him. God spoke something down in Peter's spirit. Whether he spoke it to the rest of the disciples, we don't know. I'm assuming at least some of them heard it. Probably all of them heard it since Jesus is teaching all of them. He didn't just pull Peter aside and teach him. But I can't say that for sure. At least Peter heard it. We're dealing with Peter. Peter got this revelation that you are the Christ. This came to his spirit is what Jesus identified it as. But Peter, not knowing that the revelation was any different from anything else that he had, spoke it out. So here's what you got to fill out. And we got a little wasp up here. Oh, you got away. I thought I was at them enough. Well, I don't want him flying around for you all. All right, where'd he go? <laughs> I don't think I quite zapped him enough. I thought I got him pretty good with that flick. There is a difference in speaking what is revealed to us before it is known than there is after everyone sees it. There is a difference in speaking what is revealed to us before it is known than there is after everyone sees it. Now let me explain this to you. Moses and the plagues. What does Moses do? Moses gets something revealed to him what God is going to do. Moses comes before Pharaoh and Moses declares the Nile will turn to blood. Frogs will invade the land. The sun will go dark. And then it happens. But he says it first. Moses with the water and the manna. He speaks to the rock he hits the rock. Well, he's supposed to speak to the rock, but he hits the rock and the water comes out. But he, he says God is going to bring water from the rock. He says God is going to rain food from heaven. He even calls about the quails that they're going to come. He talks about the Red Sea, how the Red Sea is going to close over their enemies and drown the enemy. He speaks these things first and then they occur. How does he speak it? Because it was revealed to his spirit. Then he speaks it. Elijah and the soldiers... If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And it does. Elisha and the Syrian army. The Syrian army surrounds his city. His servant is all upset about this. He's all concerned. He's worried. And what's he say? Father, open his eyes so he can see. Let him see. And he walks right down there in the midst of the Syrian army and leads them right into the city of Samaria. Peter in dealing with Ananias and Sapphira. It is revealed to Peter what the punishment is going to be for Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter speaks it and says, you will die. And they fall over dead. And then the woman comes in and said, the feet are just buried. Your husband are coming in to bury you also. And then she dies. But he speaks out the revelation first. There is a difference in speaking what is revealed to us before 
it is known than there is after everyone sees it. What if Moses, after the manna falls, gets up in the morning and says, This is from God! What if Moses comes up to the rock when the water gushing out of it and says, This is God! What if Moses comes up to the Red Sea and they get there and they see that it's all split open? And Moses says, This is God! Does it have the same power? It doesn't have the same... It has the power because the revelation came to Moses. The revelation came to Elijah. The revelation came to Peter. And they spoke it before they saw any sign that it was true. And that's huge. That is real important. They spoke it before they saw any sign that it was true. How many of you have health conditions? That you're waiting for a glimpse of some kind of hope before you speak out against it. How many of you have financial situations and you're looking for some kind of glimmer of hope? I mean, if you're going into work and they give you a raise, you're coming home there declaring what God revealed to you, right? I'm out of debt. I'm this, I'm that. (laughs) Isn't it easier to declare what God has revealed after you see something? But the power of it is in revealing or speaking what is revealed before you see a thing. That's the power. And that's what Peter does. But then, Peter does something different. So we see that Jesus changed the way He taught them. Changed the way that He taught them. Well, have you ever heard someone teaching a revelation that rubbed you the wrong way? Now, you all know if somebody teaches a revelation and it rubs you the wrong way, they're obviously wrong. Right? That's right. That's the way you live your life, isn't it? If they're in there in a TV set and they're teaching something and that's not right, you know that you're right. They're wrong and you're right. That's the way it is all the time, isn't it? You know it. Well, see, this is the same attitude Peter has. Because what Jesus is teaching goes against what he's feeling on the inside. And it's going against his, his revelation. This is going against the things that he knows. So he pulls Jesus aside and says, you need to change this doctrine that you're teaching. This isn't right. This isn't good. Don't we want to do that with some people sometimes? They're teaching something. I don't think that's so. We don't like it. We don't, it doesn't rub us the right way or whatever it is. I don't think that's so. So he pulls them aside and says, Jesus, you ought not to be saying this sort of stuff. This isn't real good. This isn't going to go over well. And, you know, we've left an awful lot of stuff and followed you. Now you're talking about dying. This isn't, uh, I'm just letting you know from the rest of the people. This isn't going over well. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. So Peter, he's working on this revelation thing. He got revelation before, you know, and God... Patted him on the back. You're a good, good guy. Good guy. Jesus patted him on the back. All right, all right. And so he got revelation now. This is wrong. Jesus shouldn't be teaching this way. This, isn't the, this is not the thing to be doing. And here's what he does. And he turned and said to Peter, who is he speaking to? Peter. Peter. Is he speaking to the other disciples? He is speaking to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. How many of you think that is a little harsh? And Jesus could have dealt with this better. <laughs> Come on, have you ever read this and thought, you know, Jesus is a little harsh on here. He's, a, he's, he's been a little, a little rough on... Oh, and Peter. I heard someone talking about Peter some time ago. It was just kind of funny. He said, Peter, if he was alive today and Jesus was, a, was going about doing his ministry today and Peter was one of his disciples, Peter could have a verbal abuse lawsuit. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, just think about all this stuff. If, he got, if, he, if Peter today wound up in the psychologist's office, laying there on the chair, discussing Jesus and the things that he had done, 
fresh off of this incident. This incident just put him over the edge. He went over to the psych's office. He's sitting down, laying down on the couch, and he starts talking to Jesus, talking about Jesus and the things that Jesus has done. And he said to me, Get thee behind me, Satan. What's that about? What is up with that? I mean, doesn't he realize who I am, what I've done? I gave up a lot of stuff. I had a whole fishing business. I gave it up to help him out, to promote his cause. He asked for my boat. I gave it to him rent free. Didn't ask him for a thing. Just let him use it. Didn't ask for a thing in return. Didn't ask for any promises. Just gave it all up. He said, follow me. So I did. And I just followed him. And all the time, where is your faith? That's the kind of stuff I get. It's not very nice. Where is your faith? I didn't see anybody else getting out of the boat. It's just me. And he tells me, where is your faith? I mean, doesn't Peter have a case? Verbal abuse. <laughs> Verbal abuse. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, for most people, this ruined them for life. You hear them talking today. But really, when you look at this thing, doesn't it seem to be a little strong? I mean, when you read this before, of course, you're super spiritual and you, you know, whatever God does, it's fine. Whatever God does to other people is perfectly fine. It's just when he does it to me. That's when I have a problem. I understand why he took brother's job away and that he's teaching them a lesson. But now he took my job away. So they think. Anyway. It's a whole lot easier to see God discipline someone else. Isn't it? Step in there and speak to someone else. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God. But the things of men. I mean, boy, that is, that is just nasty. <laughs> you are an offense to me. But I was just a blessing just, just before. <laughs> Did you see that? Just before. I was a blessing. And now, <laughs> yeah. mm. there's only one other time I saw him use this statement. And that's over in Luke chapter 4 and verse 8. And Jesus answered and said to him, being the devil, Get behind me, Satan. Well, he's speaking to Satan. So when he says, Get behind me, Satan, and he's speaking to Satan, don't you understand that? This is understand. I can, I can follow this one. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Well, we can understand that one. Over in Mark chapter 8, we have the other time that he, uh, that this is used, but of course it's about the same story. But when he turned around and looked at his disciples. Didn't the other one say he turned to Peter? But this one says he turned around and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Why does he turn and look at his disciples? Because more than likely, this is supposition on my part. Get to heaven. Might figure out something else. But if they were discussing who Jesus was before, don't you think they were discussing what Jesus is saying now? That he's going to die? I mean, you all never listened to somebody, went to some meeting, not here at this church, you know, just other places. And, and the preacher said something. You never gone out to lunch and started talking about it, did you? I don't think that was right. Do you hear what he said? Did you hear that? I don't think that that's right. Did you see? Did you hear what she was teaching? Hmm. No, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going. I'm not on board with that one. Well, probably these guys got together and they all decided that what Jesus is teaching isn't right. But Peter was the one who put voice to it. And so I think when he he turned around and he looked at his disciples and then he rebuked Peter, he's basically saying, "This is for y'all. It's for every one of you." Of all you think in this thing, here's what you get. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are an offense to me. Now, you know, you can just, you can communicate a whole lot to people just by looking at them. Whole lot. So when he turned to his disciples, 
I'm sure he made eye contact and he communicated some things. Said some stuff. Get behind me, Satan. For you're not mindful of the things of God. But still, we got to figure out why is Jesus so harsh with Peter? Why is he so harsh with him? And why does he stop speaking to Peter and he rebukes Satan? He uses the same rebuke he used in the second recorded temptation. We know that there's others. And he said, get behind me, Satan. That's when he was out there trying to tempt him. He's going to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And if you just bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. And Satan goes away, right? I mean, if you use terminology like that, Jesus uses terminology like that. Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty stern. Don't you think Satan would just go away? Except we had the third temptation right after that. And that's just the three that are recorded. And then it says after that that he went on and tempted him a whole lot. Until he decided there wasn't anything more to tempt him with. And he went on until a more opportune opportunity came up and went away. You can go back to Luke chapter 4 and look that up and find out. He didn't just get tempted three times. Please understand that. We only had three recorded. But he tempted a lot more. We don't know what the rest of them were. Only three are recorded. And this is the second one. It doesn't mean it's the second temptation. It just means it's the second one recorded. And on this particular one is when he took him up on the high pinnacle. Oh, I'm sorry, that was, a, that, was a, that was the next one. Excuse me on that one. But, but he, he wanted him to worship him. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. In fact, just so you know you're clear on this thing, turn over to Luke chapter 4. Let's just go over there and just take a look at the whole thing. Not the whole whole series of temptations, but just this particular one. There's some things in it we just need to be looking at it directly. Yeah, it is the pinnacle one. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Right? And he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. And then Peter says, don't be messing with all this stuff about teaching us about how you're going to die and how you're going to be raised on the third day. You shouldn't be talking like this. This is not things becoming of it. And he uses the same terminology that he did in this temptation. There's only two, epi- two times that Jesus used this terminology. Only two. We do not ever have it recorded again. This one. And he dealt with the devil on three occasions that are recorded. This is the only one he uses this terminology. The only one. And when he's dealing with Peter. Do you think there's a correlation? Wouldn't it seem like if he's using this terminology, get behind me, Satan, in this temptation, and with Peter, that somehow this is related? When Jesus is in the garden, he wrestles with the temptation. And understand this. I think we put it in your outline this way. Can Jesus be tempted? Can Jesus be tempted? Absolutely. We read where he was tempted. We read in Luke chapter 4 where, the, where Satan went out and tempted him. Doesn't the Word of God say that he was tempted in all points such as we are? Yeah. So, Jesus can be tempted. He just didn't give in to it. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give into it. So, let's get on back here what this is going on. What Satan wants is different from what God wants. Please understand that. Satan wants something different. He does not want the same things. He wants something different. 
Whatever God wants, Satan wants different. He wants something that is different. And so when he says, get behind me, Satan, there is something in what Peter is doing that is going against God. What Satan needs to try and do is to get you to go his way and think it's God's way. That's what he must do. If he can accomplish getting you to go his way and think it's God's way, you'll walk there joyfully, won't you? Gladly. And see, if someone comes up and begins to try to reveal things to you that this is not God's way, what will you do? Resist temptation to get off of that way because you are convinced that this is God's way. Aren't you? So this is his tactics. That's why deception is part of his thing. He wants to deceive you. If you know the way you're going is wrong, but you just enjoy it better, it's not as easy to hold up against people moving you off of that path. But if you think the way you're going is right, you're going to be harder to take off that path. You're going to develop a hardened heart to the things of God to steer you off of that path. And you'll be heading down a wrong road. And some people just won't want to go down that road with you. So, He will reveal to you things to lead you along that way. Right? He will reveal to you things that lead you along the way. Now, the things that will help you get on the way of Satan over the ways of God, those things can be revealed to you or to others around you, right? They are, you, know, you are not just swayed in your direction by the things that are revealed to you. Are you not also swayed by things that are revealed to other people? Have you ever gone out and filled up your gas tank when it's half full because people have persuaded you that the price was going up? You ever done that? It's not a sin to have done it. You can say, yeah, yeah, I heard it was going up, so I filled up. If people have persuaded you that the price of gas was going to go down, how many of you have let your tank hit all the way down to empty before you're going to fill that up? And then when you do go fill it up, you put what? 10, 15, 20, whatever you need to get by because it's going to be cheaper. I'm going to save penny, two pennies and stuff like that. Sometimes, folks, you need to do some math. Sometimes you just need to do some math. If, now, depending upon the size of your gas tank, if the gas of, price of gas went down five cents, how many of you are moved by five cents difference in price? If you see 206 on this side of the street and 201 on this side, how many of you are going for the 201? Absolutely. We are. I mean, we're just right over here. 201. I mean, it would just bug you to sit there paying 206 when 201 is right across the street. Wouldn't it just bug you? That just would be irritating. But how many times have we felt like the price is going down? Going down. I know it's going down. So I put in a little, just a little bit and then I get caught somewhere. And you have to put more in someplace else you don't know. You paid more money than that. I mean, some, if you're putting in 10, if you, how many, how many gallons do you, I mean, mine's, most people don't have a gas tank like mine. But 18 gallons, 15 gallons, stuff like that. So if you go in there and you're empty somewhere around 10, 15 gallons, how much are you saving by saving a nickel a gallon on a 15 gallon fill-up? 70 Five cents. I mean, for some, that's just that's just cheese on a Wendy's burger, right? And we don't even give that a second thought. You want cheese on that? Yeah. What do you mean you want cheese on? It? Of course, I want cheese on it. It's seventy-five cents. Could have saved seventy-five cents leaving that cheese off. But when it comes to gas, when it comes to gas. 75 cents! I could save 75 cents? I mean, sometimes we just need to do the math. You know? How much... 
Yeah, how much do you really want to save 75? I mean, you've spilled more money than that. Just in that. Sometimes just do the math on the thing. But, but even despite that, we will let people steer us. I will come back in two days and fill up again. Why? Because I'll save 75 cents. But you've got to go back out to the gas station, fill up again, go through the whole credit card thing, or go inside, give them the money, come back out, pump it up. You've got to go all that to save. And if you're not getting a full tank, you're saving less. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to begin to think about what it's worth. You know what? There's something about having a full tank of gas in a having a full tank of gas in on that thing, and just going somewhere. No, I don't have to. I don't have to be concerned about running out of gas. That's sometimes worth 75 cents to me, just to know I don't have to be concerned about running out of gas. I am fine. Now, most of you folks don't have a 30-gallon gas tank. That's a buck and a half. That's a buck and a half. That's right. Now we're talking real money. That's a whole half a Happy Meal right there. Mm. Yeah, the dollar man, you're going to get you a meal and a half there. A meal and a half in a dollar man. But see, we'll let people sway us in this, won't we? And really, when you look at the whole picture thing, 75 cents, we have let people sway us and alter the way that we're doing things for quarters and dollars. So, things can be revealed to you or things can be revealed to others around you. Are we more prone to give into something when spoken by someone that we love and trust? Are we not? I mean, if you just got Joe Blow in the street and he says something, she really don't care what Joe has to say. But if it's your relative, close friend, someone you depend on, aren't you a little more open to what they say? Be a little more influenced by that? Well, we know Jesus can be tempted. What does he fight in the garden? What is it that Jesus fights? That's the, that's the greatest area of temptation we see him battle. Where we really get into the heart of Jesus as much as ever when we see him battle a temptation. And that's the spot where we see it. What is he battling? Isn't that the plan of salvation? The whole plan of the cross? And all that sort of stuff getting there. Now, let's tie this together. When Satan is tempting him in the second temptation, what is he tempting him with? I will give you all the kingdoms. All the authority that's been given to me. I will give it to you right now. Be all yours. All you got to do is bow down. Worship me. That's it. In the garden, Jesus is wrestling with what? If there is another way, if there's another way, let's do that. And what's Satan offering him right here? Another way. Isn't he? Because he says, all these things have been delivered to me. Well, Jesus ought to know if that was true or not. What is Peter doing with Jesus? Talking him into another way. He is talking Jesus into another way beside the cross. So what you have here is Satan coming in and trying to persuade Jesus to go in another way beside God's way, another way beside the cross. He first does it in the temptation in the wilderness. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he comes through through someone that he loves, someone that he cares for, someone he's put a lot into. And he says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. But he speaks it to Peter. Now, we're getting real close to him going to the garden. And what Satan has done was use people that are close to him, inspired them to speak things to get him to go in a different direction. So you have Peter who listened to the revelation 
given to him in his spirit, revealed by the Father God. And then the same man picks up a revelation given to him by Satan for the purpose of distracting Jesus from the way he should go. And Jesus rebukes him for it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter is giving voice to a diversion of Satan. He is giving voice to a diversion of Satan. He is speaking out a plan other than God's. And this is a person who's spiritual. This is a person who can hear from the Spirit of God. This is the person who has already had stuff revealed, so therefore Jesus could teach them better. Different. Now we all know that speaking what God reveals is powerful, right? We talked about that some already. We talked about it in times before. So what then is speaking what Satan reveals? We know that speaking what God reveals is powerful. What then is speaking what Satan reveals? Yeah, what was probably a good word? (laughs) What is that? Now, understand, Peter got into this. Peter spoke revelation from God and then spoke revelation from Satan. And he thought they're both the same. If Peter can get tricked, you better know other people can. You better realize that you can. Sometimes you've heard somebody teaching something that's gone against the revelation that you have swallowed that was a revelation by Satan. And the reason that bothered you and rubbed you the wrong way is not because they were in error. It's because you were. But you don't have the spiritual wherewithal to figure that out yet. And you got stuck. And you're up there on your high horse. Well, we know he missed it. If we give voice to the plans and desires of the enemy, who are we helping? Now, to picture it this way. Our gifts from God are helping whom? If we give voice to the plans and desires of the enemy, the gifts from God that we have are helping whom? Boy, that can be a scary thought, can it? Mm. You got to be careful what you give voice to. Make sure whatever it is that you hear, that you check it out. That you meditate on it. That you check it out by the Word of God. That you don't get caught up in hype. You don't get caught up in a cause. You get caught up in the Word of God. Because you could be giving voice to the enemy's plans and think you're giving voice to God's. And you'll get offended at anyone who tells you differently. Because you're convinced that the revelation you have is from God. So much so. I mean, just just picture this. Just pick how brazen this is. You can get so convinced that you would go up to the person you just called the Christ, the Son of the living God. And tell him he's wrong. Is that brazen? That is how powerful deception is. It is that powerful. You would go up to one who is the son of the living God and tell him, you're wrong. You are wrong for teaching us these things. These things about your death and resurrection, these are wrong things. You should not be teaching us these things. They are not in line with, the, with what we know. Isn't that what, isn't that what Peter's doing? How many and varied are the ways of deception to pull us off God's way? They are many and they are varied, but the purpose is the same. To get you to go in the opposite direction. We must be vigilant 
and guarded to stay on God's way. We must be vigilant and guarded to stay on God's way. The prevailing way of people being led anymore is public opinion. It's huge. Jesus starts us out. Who do men say that I am? And not one response was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But that's what they came up with and that's what they said they thought. So they were going against the public opinion. They're going in a different direction, which was good, especially when it's right. But the way that people are moved today, public opinion. Why is global warming such a big thing? Because they've swayed public opinion to go this way. That's all. There is no evidence at all that points to it. In fact, they keep having mounting evidence that shows them otherwise. Just the report a couple weeks ago that the rainforests are growing faster than they're cutting them down. Y'all didn't hear that one? Rainforests are growing, are replenishing themselves faster than they're being cut down. Go God. <laughs> Go God. God is just tough. He's, he made a resilient world. A resilient world. Oh, I'll tell you what. I heard a thing. I guess the big big thing in the news this week was uh, this, our senator from Pennsylvania decided to switch parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's fine. He was a Democrat all along. He lined up more with Democrats than he did with his own party. So it's fine that he switched on over. But here's, what is, here's what's really interesting. This is what I want you to understand for this. Not, I think it was last year he was asked that exact same question. And he says, no, he would not switch parties. And now all of a sudden he would. You know why? Because something in a public opinion poll told him that if he ran for re-election as a Republican, he would lose. But he'd have a better shot if he ran as a Democrat. We've, we have lost people who just hold on to what they believe and just do what they do because they believe it. Yeah, I'd rather somebody do something wrong and, uh, and, 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 but do it because they believe it than to be swayed by public opinion polls and be going over here and over there and then doing this and then doing that. I, I would rather they do the thing right. <laughs> I think that'd be all of our, our main preference. But you, you'd just rather see somebody hold on to something because they believe it's true. And we're just not, we don't see that in leadership anymore. It's government leadership. It's all swayed by, by polls. The news, you know how they create news? They, they, they do a poll. They run a poll and create news. It wasn't news before, but they did the poll. So they did the poll. Now that question is news because they did a poll on it. And because people answered the question. What do you think on this? Well, I think no. I think yeah. And then they run the poll. 75% of the people think this is good. 70, 25% of the people think it's not. And you're thinking, I, huh? Never even thought about that before. But now we're all talking about it. Why? Because they ran a poll. That's it. Govern a whole newscast. Poll says this. Poll says that. Should we plant more trees in Pennsylvania? Poll say no. I've got to tell you about that one poll. I think I told you about that one poll. So I want to come up on the, on the webpage. Would you want more government laws if it made, if it meant that you would have clean water? I said no! That's what I did. I, I, I wouldn't have even given that thing a second thought. But you know, it's one, just one little pop-up thing. You know, you're reading something on the internet and here it comes. Here's this little poll. It pops on up there. Would you do this for clean water? I said, no! It's like 290 people said yes and three people said no. I'm one of them. I was one of them right there. I said, no! <laughs> I'm, really, with the way they word that, it almost sounds like you're a criminal if you say anything else. But see, they, they can create things by that. Don't be swayed by public opinion. How many of you have had the opinion because it was built up from the word that you are healed? And how many have had public opinion around you saying, you You better get that looked at. I know my aunt had that. She died. Right? How many got public opinion? All comes in there and generally public opinion is not along the lines of the Word of God. If you are believing God to be healed, generally the public opinion comes in as 
You're going to die or go to the doctor. The public opinion is generally that you're going to be poor, lose your job, die, get sick, and all these sort of things. <laughs> is that the way that it is? What's the new thing? They got some flu that's coming on. I hear. Wasn't that? Didn't that come out way back in the eighties or something like that? It had a swine flu or something like that. David Ingalls wrote a song about that, by the way. <laughs> Called it. Yeah, he, yes, he did. He wrote a song about that. It says, "I never heard of a heavenly flu." <laughs> great song. Got a little twang going on. Oh, it's a great song. It's a great song going in there. I never heard of a heavenly flu. Have you? <laughs> There's no heavenly flu. I don't really care if they got chickens that died from it or whatever else. And they finally, I heard they finally found somebody who died from this thing in the United States. Glory to God. They finally found somebody who died. That's probably what they're saying. Because now oh, this just gives so much validity to it. You know, they, they constantly barraged us with how many people were dying in Iraq. And they would never tell you that more people died in the streets of L.A. than died in the streets of Baghdad. That you were safer in Iraq with a gun and a helmet and a uniform on than you were as an unborn child in a Planned Parenting clinic. They don't tell you about that. Public opinion. Now, Satan will try the direct approach like he did with Jesus and just come directly at you and try and get you to sway off. If it does not work, he will get people that are around you. Your moms, your dads, your sisters, your brothers, your friends, your nephews, your nieces, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents, whoever he can get. And he will get them to begin to sow into you. You know, Jesus, you ought not to be teaching this way. You know, Steve, you ought not to be believing for this. Because if it doesn't work on the direct approach, let's go on the indirect approach. And let's try and get people around you to, to do that. He's going to try and find a way. But we must be vigilant and guarded to stay on God's way. See, God is putting you through training so that when you face these things, you're ready for them. And when you got public opinion coming up and saying, don't believe that way, don't do that, change, do this. But once pulled into the flesh, we are less able to see it. Once we are pulled into the flesh, folks, we are less able to see it. People, spiritual people can come up and say, you know, you're, you're falling after the flesh. You're in a wrong area. We want to pull that out. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because we cannot tell that what we are doing is flesh-oriented because we have adapted a flesh way. Jesus was harsh with Peter because Peter was stepping into a role that Satan had asked him to. And gave him revelation and Peter was following after it. And Jesus, understand, Jesus dealt with this in the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus deals with it now. And we see that Jesus deals harder with this issue than anything else we ever see him with. And here you have a close friend, a close associate, who comes up to Jesus to try and sway him to go that way. And you wonder why Jesus was so harsh? Jesus is dealing with this. There's got to be a different way. When I get to that cross, I know what's going to happen. There's got to be a different way. And yet, he is teaching his disciples the way God has planned it out. But inside, there's that temptation going on. He is facing temptation. He's just not giving into it. And in the garden, we really see where it all comes out. Mm-hmm. Father God, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, I'm willing to take it. Let's go forward. And here it is, a close friend of Jesus is trying to sway him over. Understand, there'll be close friends of yours that try and sway you over. Pull you out. Take you in a different direction. Make you think you're missing God for doing what you're doing. But you can have the same opinion if you are missing God. You can have the exact same opinion. Because people who are spiritual could be coming over like Jesus with Peter. 
Get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter's saying, I don't think he took that real well, guys. We're going to have to come back and work on him some more later on. <laughs> he could be taking it that way. This is why we need believers. This is why you need faith-filled believers. This is why you need to rely on each other. Trust each other. Speak to each other. Because when you start to veer off, you've got people around there to help you out. Where do you build those things up at? Where do you build those relationships up at? I'll tell you what, people. You don't build it up by coming to church on Sunday. You build it up by interacting with each other outside of church on Sunday. One reason why we push you all so much. Get out there and interact with people. One reason why we do as many things as we do to get you all to interact with people outside of Sunday. One reason that we do it. One reason we open up our home as many times as we do Sometimes church-wide things, sometimes little groups are getting together. It's because we know how important it is that you have the interaction. Because if you don't build up the relationships, then when the rebukes come, they go unheard. And no one knows you well enough to say whether you're hitting the mark or whether you're off. And you haven't built up any trust in anyone around you they can speak into your life that way. So important. Because the devil wants to take the Peters in your life and use them to steer you in a wrong way. Then once you're in a wrong way and you're following along that path, then when other people come along and they say, but this is the real way, you get mad at them. And bitterness sets in. And then walls begin to be formed. And the people that are supposed to be helping you, pulling you along, you are now isolated from. And you can't hear what they have to say. And once he's isolated you, he's got you. Word of God says that he seeks, he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. How does a lion devour? They chase the pack. But what do they wait for? The one that separates. And when the one separates, they get between the separated one and the pack. And once they've done that, it's mealtime. The protection is in the pack. As soon as you get out of that pack, you're dead meat. You are dead meat. That's why, folks, don't let offenses get in the way between you and other people. I mean, there are some things we get offended over. Shouldn't we get offended over? There are things we can... Become distrustworthy of each other. Just shouldn't be doing it. Just shouldn't be doing it. Because it's important. We need each other. You need each other. Satan is trying to get you off the way God has. And let me tell you something. He is very good at it. He's very good at it. And he knows how to get the people around you. Don't let them get to you. Make sure you got good word people around you. Make sure you interact with them on a regular basis. you got to budget it into your thing to go out to dinner every once in a while with people. Get out there and get in with some of the groups and get the interaction. Well, I don't feel like doing that. So what? Get the interaction. You need the interaction. You need to get around them. You need to build up those relationships. It's so important because... He's looking for whom he can devour. And just as sure as you are open to hear the revelation, like Peter did, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are just as sure able to hear the revelation. This is wrong teaching. You should not be teaching this. You're not going to die. You're going to become king of all Israel. You're going to redeem us from the oppression of Rome. And you're going to usher in the millennial reign. And you will rule and reign over the whole world. That's what they thought. That's what they wanted. But it was wrong. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the help that you give us. That we don't fall into that way. We are being trained up. We are being strengthened. So that when that voice comes up on the inside and reveals to us, that's wrong. We can say, 
Oh, hold on. I, I hear this one's coming. That is wrong revelation. I am not receiving that one. And we can know. Oh, it's so important that we know. Thank you for the help that you give us on it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Comments, questions? Yes.